This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about investing like a pro. I think everybody probably wants to know how to do that. We're going to dive into some of the ways that you can know if you, in fact, are doing that. With me today, I have financial planner Julie Chadwick. Good morning, Julie. Hey, good morning, Mary. Before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to Mary. And if you want to invest like a pro, you might want to come see this lady because (laughs) just recently announced uh, 2019, Mary made the Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisor list. And this is the second year in a row for that award. So just kudos to Mary. (laughs) I wanted to give that shout out. Well, thank you. That's a pretty exciting list to make. I think that uh, people know the name Forbes and it's pretty exciting to be not... uh, Uh, nominated and then make that list. Yeah, that's really cool. So congrats. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So what to do to invest like a pro? There are a lot of different things that are out there that you can do. And there's a lot of things out there that you shouldn't do. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I can say is that right now, there is so much noise out there, so much information. Do this, don't do this, try this, look at this. And it, it is very cluttered because most of the sources out there that are suggesting you do something have an agenda behind them. And they really haven't done the research really necessarily on giving mm-hmm. it meat to the bones of why you should do this. It just sounds good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what people have a hard time understanding is who to pay attention to or what to pay attention to. Because you can Google something and you can literally find um, – articles out there that say do this it's the smartest thing in the world to do and you can find articles about the exact same thing that say don't do this it's the dumbest thing in the world to do it really muddies the water and it's hard to make a good educated decision then it does and and that's very true so the the first tip that i want to say to invest like a pro is that you really need to develop a methodology and or find someone that you trust or find a source that you trust to follow the guidance from Right. Now, of course, we think that you should come talk to us <laughs> as your source. But if you're not going to do that, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you do want to find a source that you trust and then follow it. Be Have it be something that you create your methodology around of what you're going to do. Because one of the biggest things that people make mistakes on that they're not investing like a pro is that they don't have any real research strategy for what they're buying and they don't have any real criteria for what they're selling. Right. I've had uh, people call in before and say, hey, I want to buy some stock in this company. Okay, great. Well, why? Well, I don't know. I just like, I like the, I like the name brand. I like the name. I like their symbol. I, I like, like the commercial. <laughs> I like the commercial. <laughs> really? And so I'm like, and a lot of times, I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, it's a good buy. No, it's not a good buy. And I could go into detail. But a lot of times I'd say, because it actually had to happen to be one of my relatives. It was my niece. And she wanted to buy it for her fiance as a gift. She thought it'd be a cool birthday gift. And I said, well, what do you actually know about that company? She goes, well, not much. And I said, well, why don't you do a little bit of research and check back with me? And she said, okay, I will. And she was, I can't find it anywhere, Julie. I can't find the stock or the ticker or the symbol. I told her to look for those things. And I said, it's because it's not a publicly traded company. <laughs> it's not something you, you should buy. <laughs> she was, oh, dang it. <laughs> so just like things like that. <laughs> there are so many people, and I know people listening there are going to probably have a little wry chuckle and resonate with this, <laughs> that you hear some friend talking about something 
or you see an article out there saying this is the new hot stock right. or something like that. And there's nothing really to back it up. Usually when you see something talking about being a hot stock, it's somebody that has benefit to be made by you buying it. Right. And so that's part of the noise pollution that I'm talking about, especially out there on the Internet with what to do when it comes to investing. So when you want to invest like a pro, what you need to develop is a methodology for buying and for selling. That's the key point is the selling is what usually people forget to add to their discipline. (laughs) Right. That's so true. So think of it like a continuum, right? You're going to buy something, you're going to monitor it along the way, and then you're going to sell it. Most of the time, investing is not about buying and holding it forever, although some things you definitely may want to hold. But the strategy of buy, monitor, sell, according to a methodology, really is going to help you invest more like a pro than anything else. So when you are buying something, let's say that you're going to be buying a stock, there are different ways that you can actually analyze that. Some people follow something called fundamentals. Some some people follow tactical measures and Mm -hmm. things like that. Fundamentals are really all about the health of the actual company. Mm -hmm. It's looking into the company's credentials and their, you know, their backing, their all their growth their and their numbers. expenses, their yeah. numbers, their data. And there's a lot of research that indicates that um, companies that actually have profit are maybe the better ones to invest in. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a no-brainer when you say it like that. But how many times when you've analyzed a stock have you actually gone and looked at what the profitability percentage or the operating margin of that company is? Right. Um, you'd be shocked how many people don't even think about that. Right. But really, if you're going to invest in a company, having it be a profitable one makes a difference. That should probably be your number one thing to look at (laughs) first. Definitely (laughs) one one of your criteria. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So other fundamental metrics that you might want to be thinking about if you're building out a methodology are what's the debt to equity ratio of the company? What's the price to forward cash flow of the company? You know, what's the PE, the price to earnings ratio of the company? Those are the different kind of fundamental things that you need to look at. But if you're looking at them, you need to know what signals you would see inside those numbers to know whether or not you really consider that to be a buy criteria or a hold criteria or a sell criteria. Right. So it's not just knowing the numbers, it's knowing what those numbers mean. Now, the tactical side of things is more along the lines of what's actually happening with that stock value, not with the health of the company itself. So tactical is going to be things like how risky or volatile is the stock. Mm -hmm. It's going to be things like what's been happening with the momentum of the sales of those shares over a past period of time. Um, You know, so tactical is um, more along the lines of what's happening now versus health of company. Right. What's happening in that industry. So not just necessarily with that company, too, Mm -hmm. because what's happening in that industry or that sector is going to affect that company, too, or just affect that stock, too. For sure. And then the last thing that you really want to look at is, is what you're considering buying paying a dividend? And is that part of your strategy? Not all investments should be looking for a dividend. Not all investments pay dividends. And sometimes ones that don't doesn't mean they're a bad investment. So you have to understand what the dividend does inside of your own strategy. So when you're thinking about buying something like a stock, those are criteria to be paying attention to if you're going to invest like a pro. Now, what if it's a mutual fund or an ETF? 
that's a whole different type of scenario. So mutual funds and ETFs, first of all, all have some type of internal expense ratio. And that's something to pay attention to. Right. And those are a lot of times really hard to find. Sometimes you have to do some deep, deep you know, down di- digging to find out what those internal expenses are. Yeah. But you can find them in some, and they're not all the same. So that is definitely Everyone one. Is different. That's going to affect your profitability. Mm-hmm. But the other thing to keep in mind is that you don't want to let the expense tail wag the performance dog. Exactly. So at the end of the day, what I think matters the most is performance net of expenses. Mm -hmm. So how much are you actually realizing in return after expenses are paid? It could certainly be that a fund or an ETF with a higher expense ratio has greater net performance than something with a lower expense ratio. So it kind of outweighs that internal expense because you start getting that better performance. So those are things that you need to balance out. And then you also need to be looking at peer group performance. So for example, in the large cap growth area, there might be 2,500 different mutual funds and ETFs out there that you can choose from. So don't you want yours to be in something that's maybe in the above average side of that pool? (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's something that you can easily find out too. Yeah. So um, do-it-yourselfers have access to certain tools. Financial advisors have access to more in-depth tools to be able to do that type of peer group performance. But when you're buying, you want to be paying attention to those things. Now, when you're monitoring things, you want to be doing those kind of performance checks to make sure that what you're in continues to be something that's above average. Right. You don't just want to buy into it and then say, all right, I've done my I've done my work. I did my homework and now I don't have to do anything <laughs> else with it because funds can change and, and the performance that, can change. Yeah, we see that happen all the time is people who are like really into it. They like get their stuff set up and then life happens <laughs> and they just kind of let it sit by the wayside and they haven't paid attention to it for six months that turns into two years and then five years later they're in something they should have dumped a long time ago. And they're wondering why they maybe didn't get the returns that they thought they were getting or that they were getting in the beginning and they just don't know why. So Mm -hmm. it's good to look at that. So the monitoring of it really does take due diligence. Exactly. And it's a discipline to do it on a, a regular basis. Very much so. Okay, so now this cell criteria that we're talking about, when you're developing a methodology for cell criteria, then there's a couple of different factors that come into play. One is whether or not there's going to be tax ramifications to making any type of sale. And two is what's the reason that you're selling it? Right. Has it fallen out of favor from a performance monitoring standpoint? If it's now something that is in the bottom third of performance in its category and you can easily replace it with something in the top third, should you? Right. And how long should it be out of favor before you decide to pull the trigger? Or is it maybe gotten the growth and the the results that you wanted and is it time to get out of that? Yes. That's a really hard one too. So just as there's buying criteria for stocks or funds or ETFs, there should also be selling criteria for those as well. Now, again, you don't want to let the tax tail wag the performance dog. And we see people doing that, unfortunately, more than you would think because they don't want to trigger tax consequence, which I agree with if you can, you know, figure out a way not to do that. But if you have something that's significantly underperforming, then there are ways to do some bracket bumping or there are ways to stretch taxation over a couple of tax years to leave a position that's no longer maximizing performance for you. Right. You can really analyze it and decide that it might be better to take that loss and to get in a better performing fund. And that better performing fund is going to eventually outdo that loss that you did in the taxes.
Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about how to invest like a pro. So we've talked about setting up some different criteria and methodology for yourself, and now I want to talk about um, emotional decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always the tough ones. Emotional decisions can wreak havoc on your investment success. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and those are usually the the factors that are the hardest to deal with um, because it's it's not logical. <laughs> right. Yeah. So here's the thing: is that if you look back at history, missing the ten best days in the last twenty years would have reduced your returns by almost fifty percent. That's according to Oppenheimer. That's a huge number. It is a huge number. So why would you miss the ten best days? Well, the reason for that is that most of the best days occur within two weeks of the worst days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's usually when people panic and get out. Get so out. we have, you know, mm-hmm. a, a big drop in the market and people panic and get out. But is what they're missing is those big t- upticks right after the after the drop. Right. So when we look at history, in the last 20 years, six of the 10 best days occurred within two weeks of those 10 worst days. Right. So volatility happens, but making an emotional decision during a volatile time can kill your performance over time. Yeah. So professional investors do not make decisions based on their emotions. They make decisions based on criteria. Right. And looking at the numbers and the data that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing that happens with the emotional decision is you might get out, but getting back in is infinitely harder Mm -hmm. because you're just still afraid. So think about your emotions as your gauge for what not to do. (laughs) So if you get nervous and you feel like the right thing to do right now is to sell, do the opposite. Probably the best thing to do is buy. Yep. And if you are letting your emotions carry you and be like, oh, my gosh, the market's so amazing. Everybody should be buying. Quite frankly, that's probably the time to think about selling. (laughs) That's the worst time to buy because you're buying it at the all-time high. Right. So buy low, sell high. That's still the name of the game. That's the old axiom that still works. Right. And Mm -hmm. there's no compromise for that. There really isn't. So when you think about your emotions, you have to take the emotions out of it. And the truth of it is that if you are fearful of losing too much money in a market downturn, it probably means that overall your portfolio is carrying more risk than it should. Right. So you really need to evaluate what you're comfortable with, what you're going to be able to sleep at night with, mm-hmm. because that's where you should be. So instead of saying, I want to get the you know the most growth and everything that I could possibly get out of it, that means you're going to have the most risk too. And if you're not comfortable with that, it's not going to be worth losing sleep over. Right. So we would encourage everybody at this point in time, when we're more than a decade into a bull market, to check your risk tolerance and really think about how you feel about gaining money, but also about losing money. At the top of the market is a good time to reevaluate things and reassess things and maybe pull back a little bit if your risk tolerance level is diminishing. And when does it diminish? It diminishes as you get older or as you get closer to retirement. Right. And that's definitely not the time, you know, six months or three days before retirement that you say, all right, I need to probably pull this out and save a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely some pre-planning that you need in there. Another thing that... Um, amateur investors do that pros don't is they they make decisions based on something that they might have heard might make sense. So one of the things that um, is out there is called set it and forget it, mm-hmm. which is kind of like buy and hold, right? That strategy of set it and forget it really doesn't 
do anybody much good other than the fact that you don't miss up and down days because you're still in the market. Right. But like we talked about before, you're missing the due diligence and the research and the ongoing monitoring. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, there's another old axiom that I think is kind of funny, um, especially because we're talking about this in May, and it's called sell in May and go away. (laughs) I like that one. That one's a good one. (laughs) Sell in May and go away is basically trying to say that between the months of May and the beginning of November, that there's trends that the market might not perform as well over the course of those months. So sell in May and go away means get out of your riskiness in May and then come back in in November to catch end of year performance. Yeah, Um, That may work some years, but it by no means is something that works every year. Yeah, literally that's reduced returns since 1926 by 76%. That's from Oppenheimer. So, I mean, it's a good kind of checker right there for you. Yeah, that's a pretty big loss to have given up 76% of the return since 1926 because of a uh, axiom that doesn't actually <laughs> that doesn't work. work yeah. <laughs> and that's what we tell people all the time. I mean, it, it's, you know, to to get that gauge in there and get, to, you know, what you're comfortable with, but you do have to do the monitoring and, and keep mm-hmm. an eye on it. So yeah, and that's what that's what good financial advisors are going to do. In our office, we monitor things quarterly. Mm-hmm. And what we're looking at is to see whether or not from a peer group performance, things are performing in an above average way and if they're not. And then we have a methodology that says if they're underperforming, we have them red flagged. And if they're red flagged for a certain number of quarters in a row, then we're proactively going to tweak them, of course, taking into consideration any tax ramifications of that change. So when, when you have a methodology like that, when you have robust research that's going into it, that's really going to help portfolios stay where they ought to be. But I can't stress enough that your risk tolerance level really needs to be the driver for you personally of how you want to blend things into that. Right. So you got to take that emotion out of it. And by having a discipline or having using a financial advisor or planner like we are, we can monitor that for you and make those decisions without we're having to worry about is it the right thing or is it not because it's systematic. Right. Okay, one other thing that pros do is that they diversify. And I don't just mean by diversify inside their investment accounts. I mean that they diversify between different types of investments. So what I mean by that is that not all investments track with the stock market itself. Mm -hmm. So um, diversifying investments might be things like real estate or currencies or things like that. We consider them to be alternative investments. Mm -hmm. And an alternative investment is not something that moves at the same time or in the same direction necessarily with the market itself. Right. And the reason they're a good diversifier is because the market might be going down and those other things might be going up. Now, the opposite can happen, too. The market right. can be going straight up, and those things might be stagnant or going down. But it's good to have that balance in there, so you're going to play them out a little bit. It definitely is. So having all your money in stocks might be not the best plan, or having all your money in real estate might not be the best plan. But having some level of diversification between those things might make sense for your portfolio. So when you're thinking about using alternatives, there's different ways you can do it. You can actually do direct investments into alternatives Mm -hmm. that don't move in the same way as the market. Or you can buy into mutual funds or ETFs or REITs inside of your investment accounts that 
ARC doing the same type of thing, where they're doing commodity alternatives or currency alternatives or managed futures or things like that. And those are designed to try to reduce volatility by having some money in something that isn't moving the same way the stock market is. So if the stock market goes down, you potentially could make money in those. Right. So instead of just having 10,000 different mutual funds in your account, you might think, all right, I'm, I'm fully diversified. But without having the alternatives or the REITs or something like that in there too, it's just diversifying it even more. Right. And reducing volatility. Exactly. That's the key. So we hope that this is giving you some good information in terms of what to do when you think about investing like a pro. So let me just recap that. You want to have a buy criteria. You want to have some type of methodology for monitoring your accounts. And you want to have some level of sell criteria, which is the hardest part. Exactly, yep. You need to wind all of that around managing the expenses of things and keeping in mind the tax ramifications of everything that you do. All of that needs to align with your risk tolerance level and be diversified to potentially include some alternatives that make sense for you. And then you have to manage all of that without doing any of it emotionally. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? That sounds like a lot. And that's what we do every day, luckily for you. (laughs) Yes. So if you don't want to invest like a pro, you might want to invest in a pro (laughs) and find a financial advisor. Give us a call. Let us talk to you about checking performance in your accounts, analyzing these things for you, and in helping you understand if your accounts are invested in a way that is likely to maximize performance performance. So we hope this has been a helpful episode. We hope that you go forward and invest like a pro or invest in a pro. (laughs) And we thank you for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors 2018 award was determined by interviews with advisors with more than seven years total experience who were nominated by their firm. Along with compliance records, assets under management, and other data, the award is not based on client reviews or on portfolio performance. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.